Ito Online World, this is Off the Record with Mix Bustos. And for our guest today, we have, of course, um, you may see her in movies. And uh, she's also been a prominent sports figure here in the Philippines. We have Mikey Kowako Jaworski. Hi, Mikey. Kamusta ka naman? Hey. Hi, Mix. I'm good. Uh, things are good naman. Uh, busy. Always naman. So... <laughs> For our sports-loving fans and for our sports-loving community, we want to get to know you more on, uh, at least on how you got into sports, how you got into the IOC. So can you tell us more uh, about that journey uh, of yours, life into sports? Actually, I started in sports, at least in equestrian, at the age of 10. Because my dad was a racehorse trainer, so exposed ako sa kabayo. Although he didn't want me to ride horses, so he taught me how to bowl. He tried to teach me how to play golf, just to keep me away from horses. But finally, at the age of 10, pumayag na rin sila ng mom ko. So I've been in sports since, I mean, like playing active sports since I was maybe seven. So... I guess it's in my DNA. All my sisters, except for one, were a member of the national team at some point in their lives. So uh, I don't see myself as an actress that got into sports. And it was more of that I've always been an athlete. And then because of injury, I had a window to accept movie offers, and um, which was really, you know, Obviously, God's plan because I wouldn't have been able to stay as an equestrian had I not been working as an actress. So the, the writer became an actress because of injury. And then after riding, then I got into, after international competition, then I got into sport administration. The benefit of, uh, of course, hindi masyadong familiar sa horses and equestrian. Uh, being an equestrian, bakit may takot? Bakit merong apprehension like from your parents? Para hindi, wag ka, hindi ka pwede muna sumakay ng kabayo. Well, safety, there are obviously uh, safety issues kasi hindi naman maiiwasan yung mauhulog ka. So, I guess uh, that was their number one concern. I don't think that at that young age where I was, na naisip pa nila yung gastos kasi Later on naman yun eh. I mean, you never know if a young person will stay in a particular sport or, you know, move on to something else, which a lot of young people are doing nowadays. Currently, Mikey, you are a representative of the Philippines or International Olympic Committee representative to the Philippines. So, yes. one position yeah. belongs to you. So, what, I mean, it's such a prestigious position You've been holding it, you've been in position, you've been uh, under that role for a couple of years now. So tell us through the journey, of course, working with IOC. Well, I was actually introduced to International Sport Administration in 2010 when I became a member of the Olympic Council of Asia Athletes Committee. And I guess through there, I became exposed to people in international in, in the international scene and in 2013 because um mr frank elizalde who was the ioc representative to the philippines for 27 years turned 80 and uh, at the time that he was elected ang mandatory retirement from 
being an IOC member is 80 years old. So at that stage, um, I guess it was open for the IOC was open for someone from the Philippines to apply as an individual member because not all countries have an IOC member. And I think it was a really big advantage for me when I sent in my application that Mr. Elizalde was such a respected member of the IOC. And even to the point that he at some point headed the, the ethics commission, the nominations commission, you know, he had very important roles in the IOC. So um, I, I'm sure that partly the reason Tinansin yung application ko is because of the respect that they had and still have for Mr. Elizalde. So uh, at that stage, I, I know that the IOC was also looking to be more gender balanced, to have younger people become members of the IOC. So I think in that sense, things worked out for me. But I also had three interviews with the IOC. I had to fill up the application, which also included an essay. <laughs> so... Uh, of course, your CV is a normal part of every application. So I went through that process, which lasted for more than a year, siguro, the application process. What is it like? Do you travel regularly? Do you have meetings across uh, the world? Can you tell us more about that life? Well, I think uh, the place that I, vis I have visited the most since becoming an IOC member is uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, where the headquarters are. And a lot of other organizations also hold their headquarters there, like the ANOC, or the Association of National Olympic Committees, where I was also elected a member of the executive board in 2014. Um, in 2014, which was effectively my first year as an IOC member, I traveled 14 times and a lot of those trips were to Europe because a lot of the sports organizations are based there. But also a lot of my trips were, yung aalis ako dito ng hating gabi, darating ako sa Europe ng hapon, the next day, of course, we're six hours ahead. We would have informal meetings in the evening, wake up in the morning. Um, go to my meeting and then from siguro mga 9, 9 to 6, ganon, go straight to the airport. So, hindi ako nagdadala ng check-in bag. Naka-hand-carry lang, naka lang ako for that meeting. But after that, there was a big effort also for the IOC to to uh, bunch uh, meetings together so that we would travel, like be in the airless and be in one place longer which you know saved a lot of money also what are your thoughts on Mikey on the olympics being postponed well you know it's a it's a complicated situation for everyone but i'm glad that the games were postponed and not canceled there are a lot of um, legal and logistical arrangements that have to be renewed or reviewed or whatever it is there's it, it's it's very complicated to move the most um, complex event globally one year but uh, we just had a meeting of the coordination commission because i'm a member of five commissions in the ioc 
and one of them is the Tokyo Coordination Commission. So there was a lot of good news because also of the desire of Japan to hold a good games. And one of those is that, let's say, for example, accommodations, and we're talking about 45,000 hotel rooms, na pumayag yung mga hotel to still make it available next year at the same rate. Because, well, as an example, I'm getting kind of technical, but just to give an example of how much details, you know, have to be, uh, that we have to get into, we put a cap on how much a hotel can charge so that, you know, they're not charging to take advantage also of the games. And then the athlete's village, which is ready, and it's, uh, they're, they're like condomin condominium units na ibebenta then after for housing, but retrofitted temporarily to suit the needs to become an athlete's village. And they've agreed that they will keep it this way and um, maintain it until after the games and then sell it after na lang. So those are just examples of what we have to deal with in moving the games rather than canceling it. But I think, you know, everybody is happier moving it than canceling it because you're going to have 10,500 athletes who otherwise would have lost their chance at fulfilling a dream, as I, you know, among many other things. So, still going to be called Tokyo 2020. We're not changing it. It's still going to be Tokyo 2020. 2020 pa rin. Okay, so but... Yeah, yeah. 21, di ba? Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, so technically, to, for Tokyo 2020, who do you directly coordinate with? Okay, so technically, my job doesn't involve me uh, doing work within the POC, at least not my job as an IOC representative because it, I'm also the president now of the Equestrian Association of the Philippines. So I'm also a member of the POC as a national federation, as an NSA, but I'm a member of the POC executive board because as a member of the IOC, then that makes me a de facto member of the POC executive board. But of course, I, I am aware of what's happening with the POC. Theoretically, I'm supposed to know what's going on. As far as the training of the athletes, it's up to their sports associations. It's up to their NSAs to have their training programs and what they're doing, where they are. And then, of course, complying with whatever are the requirements, let's say, of WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association, which would include things like, as an athlete, you have to tell them exactly where you are at all times. Then there's random testing where you are to make sure that you're clean of any um, banned or you know disallowed substances when you compete, things like that. But the programs really depend on the NSAs. Personally, for you, Mikey, better na rin na move. Uh, oh, well... Besides the health, they give more time to prepare. I don't think there was really a choice considering the, the COVID-19 issue. And it's not as if... As far also as the athletes are concerned, it's so difficult because they're also not training under normal circumstances. And who wants to go to the Olympics and have a lackluster performance, right? So it, I think it's too difficult. It was... 
already getting too difficult psychologically and obviously physically. So the the health side makes it already a no-brainer, diba. So it, it, imagine getting 10,500 athletes living in one area and then they all go to their different, you know, venues to compete and then there's the spectators and it, it's a, it would have, it would have been too complicated. Yeah. All right. So marami salamat. Uh, Mikey Kawanko Jaworski, thank you so much for your insights and your time and for our viewers. Stay safe, God bless, and I hope you enjoyed this video. Once again, this has been Off the Record with Migs Boost with my guest, Mikey Kawanko Jaworski, and see you in the next episode.